it looks very legitimate when the president speaks, yes. But uh, I don't believe a word. This was a propaganda message for American public first. Antti Polemets is an Estonian historian and a prominent member of Estonia's Conservative People's Party. In this episode, we discuss Tucker Carlson's interview with Vladimir Putin, Trump's NATO comments, and the global implications of the WHO's international health regulations and the European Green Deal. This Green Deal is simply destroying European economies, and this is like a Soviet four years plan. This is American Thought Leaders, and I'm Janja Kelleck. Antipolimets, such a pleasure to have you on American Thought Leaders. Nice to see you. Well, I've been wanting for a long time to get a series of perspectives from Europe on this uh, WHO pandemic treaty, international health regulations, actually multiple things. And uh, we've been wanting to do this interview for quite some time. But a whole bunch of stuff that's incredibly relevant to you has come up in the interim. One of them is, uh, you know, recently, earlier this week, President Trump uh, said in a rally, I mean, roughly, you know, Russia can do whatever they want to NATO nations that don't pay. What, do you, what did you make of this? Uh, this is quite a big topic in Estonia because we are border country to Russia and uh, this uh, security umbrella is highly important for us. But uh, in Trump's case, we can say that when he was president, he said that, boys, you must start spending. You can't can't uh, build an army with this money. And U.S. is not the only country who must pay. So it's the same argument, but a uh, lot of pepper inside. Uh, so um, I think uh, his argument is absolutely correct. Please start spending because there is big war in, big war in Europe. Do something. Your spending is 1% of GDP uh, or less in many countries. So when Trump did it uh, during his presidency, the countries, NATO countries, really started to rise their military expenditures. And it was a great thing. Uh, even our neighbor country, Latvia, started seriously to react to Trump's comments. So we must look what Trump really did. He, during his presidency, he strengthened seriously NATO capabilities. Uh, in Trump's case, uh, deeds are more important. A little bit uh, to be aware because uh, words can create some panic, especially for countries who don't spend for uh, uh, this minimum 2% of GDP. Estonia spends now 3.3%. It's remarkable. We were in the same line with the Greek, Greeks, Greece, and uh, England. So and Poland, of course. Uh, but of course, it created international uh, turmoil. Trump is their target number one. Uh, liberals tried to uh, tried to do uh, some smear, which were very, very unfair. You know, what's really interesting is, well, first of all, as you said, right, Estonia has met its uh, requirements. So even according to the statement, right, in, in theory, it, it, it should be fine. But I, I think the, you know, that perhaps it was uh, a bit hyperbolic, but, you know, the, the analysis, I think even Stoltenberg himself said that the, the, the comments were, you know, to, to the member states, not about the uh, validity of NATO altogether. But this is actually another question, 
right? I mean, there's a lot of questions about NATO and, you know, uh, we're on the tail end of the uh, Tucker Carlson interview with uh, uh, Russian president, or, you know, frankly, dictator Vladimir Putin. You know, NATO is something that came up as, uh, as a, a hot topic in that interview. Of course, uh, this is discussed everywhere. And, uh, and yes, this is interesting interview. Uh, but generally, I must say that Putin just repeated, repeated his propaganda, practically waged informational warfare against their victims and uh, against the American public. So uh, nothing new really came out. Uh, and uh, in some extent, I think, Carlson didn't ask questions or were these questions pre-prepared and Putin didn't allow them ask, for example, about the uh, suffering in Ukraine, uh, losses of their own soldiers uh, and so on and so on. But he liked to speak about how Christian he is and about God and Russian soul. So uh, I can say that really the leopards don't change their spots. Uh, and they, they are KGB leopards in the Russian leadership. Uh, they fought against Christianity in the KGB. Do you believe that they became over, <laughs> overnight Christians? This is a facade of the old KGB clique who is ruling Russia, uh, but it's real inside them. Real is imperial mindset. Imperialism. Uh, this is their main point. They want to dominate. Uh, they are nostalgic about loss of uh, occupied countries, their, their spheres of influence, and Ukraine is uh, part of that. There was debate in, in the U.S. and frankly everywhere, whether this interview should have happened at all. I think that's crazy. Of course, uh, you know, we should try to, you know, interview a world leader, I think, and, and anybody would want to or should want to. And they, you know, just a lot of them were unsuccessful. And I think I, I, I appreciate uh, uh, Tucker Carlson for having, for having done this. And actually, uh, one more thing that, that, that just struck me is that, you know, he did call for the release of uh, the Wall Street Journal uh, journalist. Um, and I think that that was fantastic that he did that. What I found really interesting was uh, Putin's response, which was, from our perspective, it's espionage, it's, right? And kind of, kind of the message was, you know, if, I, if, if we decide it's espionage, it's espionage. It was kind of a reminder, to me at least, that, that Russia is a dictatorship and it, there, isn't kind of a, there, isn't, there isn't a rule of law that's functioning. Mm -hmm. No rule of law and uh, the state is not functioning normally. And I said that it was only 10 years of times of confusion in Russia. Uh, after the fall of Soviet Union. And uh, in the end of first decade, the KGB came back to power, now under the under official flag of presidency and others. But this is the KGB clique, security clique, who controls the elections. Uh, there are no free elections. Even the first elections of Putin wasn't free. Uh, it was manipulated. And today it's completely not free. And uh, all other... Uh, real competitors are cut off, saying that, oh, their signatures are wrong, uh, support signatures. So, but mostly, this is not simply the Russia in peacetime. No, it's a country in the war. 
So this is a reason why they take hostage, hostages, for example, American journalists. Uh, this is hostage taking. Uh, th this is attempt to revenge, control, manipulate. Uh, it's somehow like Iran. Uh, Russia tries to look tries to look Christian country, but it's not. <laughs> it's a very dangerous country, and uh, I, I can say it uh, for many experiences and well, researches. If I, mean, I if if I can mention, uh, Anti, you know, there is the Orthodox Christian Church has kind of revived itself since since communism in Russia. I don't think anyone would disparage that, right? That's true, uh, but uh, we must consider that the uh, state and church are quite united in Russia. They are they are not like Catholic Catholics uh, having their own pope and or, or, under, or understanding and uh, sometimes critical about state. The uh, former KGBist found uh, found somehow the way how to continue because they wanted also human face. Uh, the going to church gives them human, fa human face. In Estonia, we considered also former communists suddenly appeared to churches while they were probably looking uh, 10 years before in the doors of uh, churches when the young people do, do it. Do they enter church and uh, probably they... Uh, send a letter to the director of the school and uh, they throw, throw out these kind of bad students. This is so, how to say, Russian dissidents are correct in this way that uh, I, I spoke to Vladimir Bukovsky, who also tried to, uh, tried to be Russian president, but he was immediately <laughs> eliminated from the list. And uh, this, this opinion was, Clear. This uh, KGB clique who controls the country, they came back after some confusion. And, uh, and we must look not this one interview, but their mentality generally, why they spoke these things. I, I saw these videos put in interview three days and uh, again and again and again. And I understood that this was a propaganda message for American public First, not not so much to European public, but uh, Carlson is American. Uh, everything was in the right place. And Putin humiliated Carlson first, giving a strange uh, amateur historian lecture in the beginning, and that was half an hour. Can you imagine? And he said, "I speak thirty seconds." <laughs> and what he said that, for example, that. Second World War began because po Poland didn't make compromise with Hitler. <laughs> and Poland, this is their guilt that uh, the Second World War began. And denazification of Ukraine, in the first things, among the first things, they, he starts to blame Poland for beginning of the Second World War. It means that he said, Hitler, Hitler tried to negotiate with Poland. And but Poland was not ready for compromise, and then it all started. This was one of the things that actually, you know, you, of course, as a as, as a poll, I, I I happened to notice that that little bit of historical rev revisionism at the beginning. Just overall, right? This is this what what I find very interesting, right? Is that I think Putin was framing this as 
Amer when he says Americans, I think he's really saying globalists. And you can connect, correct me if you're, if 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 you read this differently. But basically, kind of the 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 globalist regime. He's calling that the Americans in this particular you know discussion. But and that and that's actually kind of interesting, right? Because you know I know you're no fan of the uh, you know globalist structures either. Uh, you know, you're clearly you're not a fan of of, of Russia under Vladimir Putin, um, and you know, being a former Soviet uh, state. Can you square this for me a little bit? Putin tries to find weak points uh, of their adversaries and undermine American fighting moral and su supporting Ukraine. It's very well targeted. Undermine the moral. Like Yuri Bezmenov, a uh, Soviet infector to the West, uh, who infected to the West said that the most important task is to undermine an uh, enemy's moral and demoralize, demoralize American public. Uh, it was clearly visible. But uh, of course, they tried to find some points. Uh, what is what what is echoing to? national debt is too big. Uh, you have, of course, border uh, problems. Uh, he knew very well where to point. Uh, but from my, my point, it doesn't mean that Americans don't uh, support liberty anymore. Putin told practically in the beginning of interview that uh, Ukraine is practically non-state and non-nation, artificial state, artificial nation. But you Americans can simply imagine uh, what British Empire told about them. Some strange colonists make a mutiny, uh, some uh, revolutionary war. It's very bad. They are no state, they are no nation. But uh, America became big nation, big state. <laughs> and uh, the same is about Ukraine. I think when Ukraine is coming out from this terrible fight, they will become one of the leading countries in Europe. Uh, and uh, they are the biggest country in the Europe. So, Antti, tell me a little bit about yourself. You're, of course, a uh, you know conservative uh, Estonian politician and member of parliament. Um, you're also a historian. Uh, tell me a little bit about your life and how you got to today. Uh, so we we fight heavily today in the parliament for the. Uh, conservative values. So for freedoms, uh, we have a very similar problem with, with the USA. The globalists have the same agenda everywhere. And we are worried, very worried uh, concerning these developments. We have also problems with immigration. We have problems of the undermining the family. LGTB agenda is forcefully put on us. Uh, we They tried to introduce next month the hate hate speech law it means that we lose freedoms uh, green deal is destroying our economy we are in recession three years already when we were in government with our conservative party uh, we came out from covid with uh, eight percent of uh, uh, economic uh, rise and now three years only only economic recession and the European Green Deal is destroying our electricity system. So we are going to very dark uh, t times and we are in opposition. We must uh, somehow fight this 
next three years before the next elections. And maybe what is interesting for Americans, we have e-elections. <laughs> e-elections and all parties completely refusing them. We must somehow tolerate them because when we go to elections, they are legal, but we don't trust them because they're not accountable. Estonia is a very digital country, you know, this is nice, but we don't accept e-elections uh, because this is unaccountable. Nobody can look to this black box and no country is using that, by the way. Venezuela and Russia <laughs> and the so Estonian. And please avoid this, uh, dear Americans. This is really dangerous. And, and uh, if you remember problems with your last last elections uh, this is this is especially dangerous but, but, but i know even finland never does it uh, the, so we are estonian trumpists uh, with local differences it's easy to explain for americans that we are trumpists but we are conservatives and the values are very similar but problems of big country like usa and a small country as Estonia, 1.3 million in security area are different. Well, we are investing heavily to the army. We are still very small next to Russian border. So we, we are very thankful for American support to us. Some politicians understand what the freedom means. Uh, not many today under, don't understand. And, and we know what, what difference coming out from the Soviet Union. So I have experienced all this. So I was a student this time. I participated in every big activity. I was the one of the youngest men, member of creating the National Front of the uh, Estonia. And uh, we Estonia brought down the Soviet Union. The, every, everything started here. Uh, the freedom movement started here and uh, Estonia was in 88 first Soviet Republic who said, who declared that all laws are higher than Soviet laws. It created immediately total chaos in Soviet Union and other followed. So, but our readiness to fight for freedom was also important. We were be better informed than other Soviet uh, occupied areas because we had Finnish TV, we listened Voice of America and so on. We knew what was going on. We, we lived in my family like in, like in another information sphere. Two times Voice of America, but they Finnish TV. We didn't want to know anything about Soviet Union. We were not inside the cultural Marxist space. I suggest it also to U.S. conservatives switch out completely from the cultural Marxist Marxism, what is coming from every every channel. It's possible. We we were in much terrible situation, but now we I feel that we're losing step by step some important rights, freedoms like freedom of speech. It's going down in the European Union. I mentioned this, uh, hate speech law, uh, economic freedoms. We have them less because of Green Deal, zero, zero net 
terrible, terrible uh, Soviet idea. So I'm worried. I felt the time of freedom and I want it back. How did you become a historian? So I wanted to know what was happening with Estonians because we had heavy censorship. And, uh, but it was like in 1984, a novel. We, are trying to we tried to find old books uh, from private collections reading the, about the War of Independence in 1918, uh, about suppression, about occupation, and uh, we got this information, but the process was like in, in this book, uh, <laughs> Orwell's book, we, we, we piece by piece, we found these old books by the way, Soviets destroyed millions and millions of Estonian books, burned them and destroyed them, and millions. We had huge, huge production of national culture before 1940. Uh, and uh, these correct or free books of the free world, they were destroyed. So, so it was a very interesting time how to find the truth out. And I never gave up to find out the truth. I, I, I found out that in the West also some historical events are not correctly uh, described. Soviet Union, of course, the Soviet terror, Soviet regime, it's quite far from the Western Western people and Western Europe and the USA. And I described the uh, Soviet infiltration to American society. History helps to detect them. How, for example, the Frankfurt School of Philosophy infiltrated your country and started to uh, change your perception of reality. And uh, as the former KGB agent Yuri Bezmenov said, I suggest his videos. He, defected, he defected to the West in uh, in uh, end of 70s and gave a lecture that it takes two or three generations to alter the country by uh, very dangerous ideas. But I feel that it happened in USA. And uh, when I saw this Black Lives Matter Mutinies. It was like, it was like a French Revolution. <laughs> Every, everywhere they burned cities, and uh, it was terrible. You must look to history to find our way out from the very bad situation. But I studied studied also law, and uh, this is a good mixture from my point of view to fight for political rights and freedoms, and then you know how to fight. And this is a very good political weapon. The thing that the thing that comes out when you know what the thing that a lot of Americans are concerned about with it comes to Ukraine is sort of priorities, right? They're looking at things like numbers, like how much money, how many billions of dollars, you know, over a hundred billion now, are going towards uh, the Ukrainian war effort, right? And you know, for example, a lot less than that are going toward the border effort. So they're they're con they're concerned about this. Another thing they're concerned about is that you know there was 
strong overtures for attaining some kind of a settlement, peace settlement early on, but then that was scuttled. I'd like to hear, you know, your, your thoughts on that. Um, and, and finally, yet, you know, as much as there might be, you know, sympathy towards, you know, Ukrainians and so forth, it's recognized as an incredibly corrupt place where a lot of, you know, people would come to, you know, launder money in effect. And I, so, so these are kind of three areas that I, I, from your perspective, obviously you're, you know, supporting Ukraine, of you're, course. you're not I... supporting Russia, you're also not supporting the globalist agenda. So explain that to me. I think important is to support uh, Ukrainian real nation state, building of nation state, free and sovereign state. Uh, uh, Putin's uh, idea is practically now to destroy this country and nation. Ukrainians have been nation for very long, very long time, and the nationality keeps them, uh, national feelings and proudness keeps them fighting, uh, despite of corruption. Uh, what is real problem in the country. It shows that they have so strong national feelings and so strong contempt to occupation, so str strong strive to independence freedom. They still sacrifice their lives, uh, not looking to problems in their own states. And they have hopes that we can build a better state. Of course, of course, they have a lot of problems. And I have been there several, several times. But I see the very strong national will it's sometimes some philosophers uh, saying that oh this is end of the history no nations anymore but ukraine proves that there are a huge sacrifice in the center of europe uh, hmm. goliath is coming and uh, david is david is fighting and and uh, all support really guarantees one important thing that the things can go even worse when Russia wins. And uh, then we can say the international order is in pieces. Uh, next country who may be, must be worried is Poland or somebody else. Uh, and uh, so when we don't help Ukraine now, the problems will rise and rise and rise. Uh, this is the big problem. Also, of course, we all want to stop this, this war, but Putin has only one uh, reason that take territories and uh, under his terms everything and Ukrainians can't accept it they fight them so in the interview he 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 says you know he's been ready to negotiate for a long time seemed very reasonable guy there it looks very mm, legitimate when the president speaks yes but uh, I don't believe a word when KGB man speaks when he speaks something, he may, may mean totally different. It was only lies for American public or some truth to just demoralize you. Sp speaking about real things like uh, a border crisis. And uh, so <laughs> he, he don't like to resolve their border crisis. <laughs> they do it always. They would like to deepen conflicts, problems. This is really... The wrong practice. Uh, I have uh, I have studied the KGB methodics uh, from books uh, and also also from real dissidents who experienced them. And I have spoken to hmm. former KGB agents. Uh, we have uh, them in Estonia also. They have published books about their methodology methodology and uh, 
This is, uh, this is the way how this Russian hemisphere works. Uh, they speak about Ukrainian oligarchs and uh, their problems, but Russia is full of oligarchs. They, they, right. they, they are utterly corrupt country. So, uh, uh, but we don't see there such real motivation. This is coercion to send Russian soldiers to this fight uh, or money sometimes. It's, it's really so that uh, building sector activated in Russia because they got money for fallen soldiers. But Ukrainians have motivation to defend their country. Well, you know, one of the kind of big disasters, and this actually comes out a little bit in the in the interview as well with um, Tucker's interview with with Putin, is is this you know dramatically increased relationship between Russia and and uh, China and the Chinese Communist Party, you know, and he talks about how you know that you know the, the Chinese are kind of a similar approach, right? They they don't really want expansion; they just want to be left alone. Of course, we know from our own you know extensive work that that this is not the Chinese Communist Party position. You know, Russia. Uh, uh, China and Iran are basically, you know, become strong allies. So it must never happen, this war, of course. But this was created by Putin and we must react. So I think uh, he wanted a very short war, big victory, but it didn't happen. So he's in trouble now. He must uh, justify himself. But the problem is that European politicians and American politicians have uh, created this demons. They made business with Putin, uh, how much Germany and European countries paid for gas and oil. Uh, Putin collected huge reserves. So Germany built up a huge world best training center, the Mulino. Uh, brigade uh, training center where 30,000 Russian soldiers train every year. It was 2010 uh, and this time. Uh, so NATO ally built up uh, Russian military might. Uh, and this is about China also. This is, it has been huge technology transfer all the time. Only Trump start to say that, please stop this stealing our technology. Please stop and by the way, Trump was the one of the most serious supporters of Ukraine because Obama only spoke. But uh, Trump was first who gave lethal weapons to Ukraine. And these anti-rocket... Uh, uh, anti right. The anti javelins you're talking about. Anti-tank rockets uh, were highly important. Javelins were high, highly important uh, defending Kiev. Uh, so uh, Trump is a quite good man uh, in defending uh, Ukraine, and they know it. But the West must stop the uh, permanent build-up of communist China, for example, using their technologies. If I go to shop, I look only, only made in China, made in China. It will, it will continue. And as, is, as, a, as an historian, I remember when when uh, David Rockefeller g gave money for uh, Soviet Union, big loan uh, to build world biggest truck factory in Kama River. And this was during the peak time of Vietnamese war. Uh, it was trading with enemy and uh, very dangerous. They built up a huge business center 
in uh, Moscow during the Vietnamese war. Let's make business. David Rockefeller and his globalist friends uh, were, were doing some kind of crime, I, I can say, because American boys died. Still, they died in Vietnam, but then uh, the globalist-minded minded bankers and business built the biggest uh, truck factor, factory to Russia from, from uh, 69 to 75. Uh, 150,000 uh, trucks came out. And can you imagine to which, which place, place most of them went to U USSR army? Uh, it means that the US, let's say oligarchs like uh, Rockefeller built up Soviet military might. And uh, I, I remember, because of terrible propaganda, what we what we heard every day. My father started David at Voice of America at six o'clock a.m. and ended the day uh, nine <laughs> seven p.m. Uh, with a Voice of America. So I feel that we are also responsible for what is happening in USA in some extent because my mother and father grandfather and grandmother, they were taxpayers of Soviet Union. Estonia, as the occupied country, had to pay anyway. Subversive work, what was done, it was also with our money. And uh, the, this subver ideological subversion and demoralization what or, uh, found a good ground in 60s, 70s during Vietnamese war, this is still influencing American society. This is visible how this cultural Marxism, what was induced uh, from the Soviet leadership, somehow won in USA. This all, all woke culture, cultural Marxism, these mutinies on the streets, what we saw, Black Lives Matter, whatever. This is somehow 40, 50 years old processes. Big part of them, of that was Soviet subversive work. Well, you know, absolutely. And since the fall of the Soviet Union, the Chinese Communist Party has kind of taken on, you know, a, a lot of the, the, the funding of that and, uh, you know, r related activity. You know, of course, the idea originally was, you know, the, the reason why the U.S. Has, has and continues to have this incredibly positive posture towards the Chinese regime was as a counter to the Soviet Union, that was the that was the theory, right? And that's that was the idea of the technology transfer, which continues to this day, and and the you know so general sort of you know vision of engagement as opposed to you know competition or viewing it as the Chinese Communist Party views America, which is as a sworn enemy. But how they built up their all military, uh, all all this is part of uh, technology transfer transfer, the happy nineties. Uh, and, and so on, all the time, even from 80s, it has been huge transfer of te technology. And uh, if, uh, if we want to stop, stop them, we must uh, make less business. I mean that especially high-tech business and not to uh, send all companies to China. Uh, <laughs> where, where from all people earn money? when we have only in Europe uh, open-air museum. It's not enough. The Green Deal will, will make us to open-air museum because the, <laughs> all companies fall down. 
in Germany, in Estonia, the Green Deal is completely destructive. And we will see the results very soon. Already we see in Germany and everywhere. You know, I just want to, on, to quickly comment on the, um, you know, U Ukraine reconstruction. You know, one of the things that's, you know, going to become evident, and I'm curious of your thoughts on this. You know, on the one hand, you, you talk about this, you know, Ukrainian spirit of freedom. And, uh, you know, what we also know is, the, for example, that a lot of the, you know, um, you know, contracts, for example, for Ukraine reconstruction are going through uh, a company, a little company called BlackRock. It, it seems to me, Ukraine, in order to get the benefits of this, you know, incredible funding that it gets, is kind of forced to accept a globalist agenda. What can you say if you're, you know, if you're in the situation that you're in that position? That that's been one of the analyses that's been offered. We really must look that uh, these companies must not exploit Ukraine. When the American taxpayer sends money, they send it to freedom fight, and Americans do it correctly because they send weapons. This is not so apt for corruption. You don't can't say, send these rockets uh, to the nearest market. Uh, like the EU money may have much more problems uh, because they send money to government uh, to keep this country going. Uh, but you see, always there is a threat that uh, some people make money from the war. Uh, it's great danger. Uh, corrupt people, uh, corrupt companies, Burisma, you remember uh, what happened with Burisma and uh, Biden's uh, son story. But we must protect these uh, nations falling to this trap that somebody, somebody will exploit them after the war or they, I, I, I see that Ukraine is changing very fast. Their mentality is completely changed. I have been three times there and uh, walking, walking around and asking common people also, not only, not only ministers. Uh, this is amazing what is going on. It's, it's, it's one side. How, how has the mentality changed? Unitedness. Uh, they were probably split really before. Uh, quarrels between each other, uh, more corruption, everything. But this unitedness and ready to fight to the end is amazing. And it gives for you also spirit when you see this uh, ladies, uh, boys, everybody, everybody are ready. And, and they, they are asking us that you are here, you can die every day. We can, it's, not, it's strange that you came here because rocket can hit you every day. The ladies say when we drink co coffee in the cafe, they are like... Uh, fatalistically minded that we fight, we don't fear, we stay until the end. And this is amazing. But the Ukrainian must really be aware that not everybody who is coming from the West is a very good friend. Somebody is crook also. And, uh, but they're in very difficult situation. They must accept things because it's, it's struggle, struggle for life. And they struggle for Estonia also, in some extent, because we never know when Russia is uh, victorious, uh, then all 1.3 million nation must be ready for everything. So, so that's very interesting, right? I mean, this is, of course, also the Polish position. 
the the key for them is to have this they want to have ukraine an independent ukraine as a buffer between them and russia right between poland and russia like that's that has a lot of strategic value the general of course this is what uh, uh vladimir putin said in this interview the reason for the aggression right is that you know nato keeps encroaching on us and we won't tolerate that this is actually nato aggression we're reacting to that aggression and so you know how 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 do you understand that and like and i and i think i i i know you you you've already expressed that that your view is that that you know your estonia or perhaps poland might be next if if you know russia is victorious in ukraine but can you kind of qualify that with a little bit of you know historical information or or even current information uh, estonian conservatives have been very worried all the time because we were very pro army uh but for liberals, uh, for a while, they thought that end of the history was coming and they wanted to even to abolish uh, the conscript army. And our people fought for this. Uh, and uh, they wanted visa-free visa movement to Russia and everything. We said that, don't be mad, and uh, Russia is dangerous. Uh, and uh, But now even liberals woke up and even uh, sleepy Sweden woke up what, what was the real consequence of Ukrainian attack to Ukraine? Uh, Sweden has been neutral for 200 years, but they decided very fast that we must join NATO because they felt afraid. While they are rich countries, strong country, they still felt afraid. Finland joined uh, NATO and Russia got uh, 1,000 uh, mile <laughs> new border with NATO. It was the result of attack to Ukraine. Finland was quite neutral country. They had no plan to join NATO. Now they are in NATO. They are all, all neighbor country. And uh, this, this again shows that Putin made huge miscalculations with this war. He didn't plan long, for long war. It was months, month or so. And he hoped for corrupt West because I take Kiev then there will be some sanctions, like after uh, year 14, uh, 2014, after this Crimean occupation. And then let's do business as usual. Germany, they bring us money. Uh, France, everybody bring us money for gas and oil. They made business with Russia. They collected huge money for Putin, especially German Nord Stream 1, Nord, Nord Stream 2. By the way, only Western politician who opposed it was again Trump. He said that we put sanctions to these companies who built Nord Stream 2, the gas pipeline. Again, he showed the backbone. So, uh, so the propaganda wants to show totally different, different view. But Trump was man with backbone and uh, biggest supporter of Ukraine in this time. I hope it, he will really end the war. <laughs> Uh, soon, uh, probably if if the, if he can do it in Reagan way that brings down the uh, oil prices, then then Russia will really stop the war because they are in great trouble. Uh, but when the Green Deal continues and oil prices are quite high, Russia don't like to stop war. The discourse that I hear, especially in you know among conservative circles, is but basically without incredible support, Ukraine has no hope here. 
Um, Ukraine's actually lost out badly in this whole deal. Of course, there's been a lot of death on both sides that we know. We don't know how much. Um, you know, the, the information warfare around this whole situation is is incredible, and it's very hard to kind of you know te tease it apart. But your point is simply, if oil prices go down, that could just be the end of the war, as yes. it is. Yes, Reagan did it one, once, and uh, if you remember that in Afghanistan, Russia lost uh, 12,000 men, a little bit more, but now they have lost uh, several hundred thousand uh, wounded and dead. So, but still the oil and gas keeps them going. Uh, uh, but when you cut off this lifeline, uh, they immediately start to crumble down immediately and they have uh, economic pressure has been uh, not so effective because prices are still high but uh, they spent half of their uh, reserves during two years this is also secret behind the some economic recovery because he's spending to military economy military factories but this is temporary effect when you put huge money to um, tank factories. But concerning Poland, uh, I think uh, after this interview, what Putin gave, uh, Poland must be much more worried because he said Stalin was right in partition of Poland, Hitler was right. So what Polish people think about after that, we must, we must prepare. Uh, this man is dangerous when he is justifying Hitler. And uh, let's see how it will continue. Um, one of the things that uh, you know Putin talks about in the interview actually is 2014 was a U.S.-backed election. It's described as a coup, right? And the Americans certainly did have significant influence there. Like we we know that 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 that's this is one of these pieces that is kind of a bit hard to contest factually. What what's your reaction? The question is that Russia consider themselves as the owner of the Ukraine. They decide where is the coup or where is not. It's typical slaveholder uh, opinion that we know, what the Ukrainians know themselves. They have had several elections and every, every international, uh, international observers, uh, they looked at these were correct and democratic. You, in the USA, we saw that uh, you had huge disputes of what about, what about these elections' correctness. But uh, Ukraine had, had correct uh, elections, and we can say that they have long, long time legitimate government. Of course, it was confusing, very dangerous uh, situation when uh, Russia occupied Crimea. They, they were ready for a long time. Uh, for occupying. They, they had long plans. They only tried to find occasion. So, but still I say that what they say can be interpreted vice versa. When they say we want peace, it's clear that they want war uh, or peace only under their terms. Vladimir Putin has spoken of Russian, call it imperial or expansionist ambitions. I think repeatedly in his in his public speeches. So that part isn't necessarily surprising. Yes, but I feel that Russia is 
falling empire, do you remember how long took it uh, to Great Britain to disintegrate? It was long, long time. First was the first big colony who became independent was USA. So it took long time until India became free, until uh, another colonies became free. How long it took for France, for example, in uh, Algeria, uh, still in the 60s, they had fights there. Uh, the empires, fo empires fall slowly. So this is a period when Russia lo is losing their really historical zones of influence. Uh, because Ukrainians who, who are Christ, uh, Orthodox Christians, they have similar language, they, they keep away for 100 years, 100 years for Russia. So uh, Russians created hate and division. Uh, so this is also the way how empire is falling. First, they lost their um, occupied territories like Estonia, Caucasian countries, uh, then they lost satellites, slave states in Europe, uh, satellite states like Poland, uh, Hungary and others. And now they lose the spheres of influence because uh, these nations are not believing to them. The only big area under their control is uh, 9 million Belarus. But we will see what's, what will happen to them after years. Uh, they may also go away because Belarus elites uh, who are abroad, they are very pro-freedom, uh, sovereignty, and also Belarus language, what is almost forbidden in uh, Belarus. And this is the way how Putin uh, builds up his empire. Ukraine is lost. Uh, only only areas uh, under his control, of course, and under terror, uh, can be uh, racificated. Uh, this is very sad situation. But there there is. But Ukraine is very strong in their national feelings, and even quite apart speaking Russian, uh, it's the result of racification. Like Irish people lost their language, but they are Irish, they are not British. Uh, and the Ukrainians changed even, uh, who were Russian speakers, they changed the Ukrainian language because of, they, they hate the Russian, Russia so much now after the invasion. It's very interesting to see this national awake, awakening in the, in the Europe. You've been someone who's been you know, sort of, a, uh, I guess, admirer, supporter of what Pusutsky described as an intermarium. Uh, I, I guess you would call it an alliance, right? Um, you're someone who's Eurosceptic. The European Union is becoming too much like a sort of federalism, like what the United States has. You want each co the countries to have uh, more freedom, but at the same time, you support a broad alliance among European states in the form of something like this intermarium, which Piłsudski wanted to form, you know, back in the day. Exactly. And uh, uh, the cooperation is different. Uh, free independent countries together or in federal way in the EU, we or Estonian Conservative Part, People's Party opposes it heavily. We can't give away our sovereignty. Uh, 
and the EU is coming more and more federal. This Green Deal is simply destroying European economies and this is like a Soviet four years plan. This, <laughs> as stupid as the Soviet uh, economy. But concerning the Intermarium, it's, it was an old idea of uh, Pilsudski, Polish head of state and uh, great war hero uh, from the First World War and Independence War. Uh, who wanted cooperation, deeper cooperation between countries bordering Russia. They, they, he wanted them to block a spread of Bolshevism. It was a very clever idea. Uh, it was very difficult to achieve this time because Ukraine was big territory under Soviet control. After the domestic war and Ukrainians freedom war, they didn't succeed to keep the independency a long time this time. Uh, and uh, Pilsudski said, let's build uh, between three seas, the alliance, Baltic Sea, Black Sea, and uh, Adrian Sea. And today uh, I, I am promoter of this, uh, this uh, cooperation between Baltic states, Poland, Romania, uh, Czechia, Ukraine, and I think they form a very proper, strong uh, friend, friendship between each other. And this is future of Europe. We have also a lot of uh, cooperators in Ukrainian parliament where this biggest group, uh, biggest support group of the cooperation between Baltic Sea countries to Black Sea and to Adrian Sea. Most of them uh, former Soviet satellite countries in the Europe, but they share common fear of the Russian expansionism and in the same time they share understanding that the mass immigration, what is in the Western Europe, is very dangerous. Poland, Hungary, uh, Bulgaria, Romania, Ukraine and uh, Czechia, Chorvatia, these countries have something in common. And I think the, their cooperation uh, will be very strong alternative against the federal EU. While they belong to the EU, uh, there must be some other ways also or, or to cooperate. Fascinating. And, you know, I'm just remembering again uh, from Tucker Carlson's interview with Vladimir Putin, one of the things he mentions is that, you know, ethnic uh, sort of minority nations under or groups under Russia are kind of one big happy family. I, I, I vaguely recall mm -hmm. that. It's not happy family because of, it's still prison of nations. Uh, Putin is in control of them, but uh, also now, especially during this war, the smaller nations are in very heavy debt uh, pressure. And uh, these are Bashkirians, these are uh, Siberian nations, uh, and very in very bad shape are Finno-Ugric nations who are all language, language uh, uh, relatives. So their languages are disappearing because of Putin's policy. There is no happy family. They, they're disappearing from the surface of Earth. Uh, Tens of nations are disappearing because of their language policy, their, their cultural genocide. Uh, the situation is very bad. 
uh, I can say the Finno-Yogic nations are in a situation of extinction, a language extinction, and uh, the put this is in big part uh, Putin's polit politics because he changed the way how to teach uh, national languages, so they are Russificated, but also huge huge uh, loss, losses in the war. It makes them angry. Uh, Bashkiria is now very, very uh, mutiny-minded. Putin used, even switched off the internet for a while when there was a big mutiny against the war and, and against the, some, uh, some local leaders. But it was generally uh, against the war because when you protest against the war only, then you are in prison. They protest uh, in different ways. But uh, their uh, attention in Russia is growing. Uh, in Caucasus, uh, occupied Caucasus nations, Russia occupied them already a long time ago. And they made a huge ethnic cleansing. For example, uh, some nations were completely annihilated. They fled to Turkey and lived there, Cherkassians, complete, completely ethnic cleansing. There was no Cherkassians anymore. They were just killed or deported or thrown out. So former Russian nations in the, in the Soviet Union and even also in Tsarist Russia felt very threatened or their, their existence was threatened, especially during uh, Soviet times, Russification problems, and uh, physical extinction. And when you say Russification, you mean this policy of importing ethnic Russians into regions and then having, you know, the language be mandatory and the local language outlawed and this, these, all these types of policies. I actually remember uh, the time, uh, I remember the time prior to World War I when Poland was occupied by Russia, Germany, you know, Prussia, Germany, and the Austro-Hungarian Empire from the south. It was the kind of Russian and, you know, German policies, which were of this, of this nature, whereas, you know, kind of Polish cultures was, was left alone largely in the South. Yes, exactly. Uh, this is the way how Russia works. Uh, during Tsarist time, it was in some extent uh, even better because the peasants' lifestyle didn't change so much. But in Soviet times, they threw people to colhoses, collective farms. It was complete destruction of the lifestyle also. It has been very heavy, very heavy blow. And this, this is why we know what means mass immigration to the West Europe, Western Europe. This Islamic mass immigration is simply destroying Western Europe under our eyes. We have experienced that. Uh, this is overwhelming, um, overwhelming, uh, massive immigration, and uh, there is no way back soon. Let's talk just a little bit about what we originally set out to talk to, which is these international health regulations and the WHO treaty. Explain to me how you understand that effort. Who is behind that effort? What is its purpose? What will it accomplish? Uh, I can say that the new centralization wave of this health regulations and pandemic definition is completely wrong way after very bad experiences uh, from the COVID uh, 
time when we had mandatory closings, mandatory vaccinations and the limiting of freedoms without reason, the Estonian Conservative People's Party built up a great fight against it, against it especially mandatory, mandatory vaccinations. But now we really fight here against the uh, new amendments to the uh, health regulations, uh, especially concerning shortening the terms. We are very much against that EU is the EU is negotiating uh, for us. So this kind of important thing must every member state negotiate, negotiate themselves. And we need more decentralization then, because the... I read, the, I read the, the proposals for the new uh, health regulations. They're, they're really change, strange things. They, they want to give more power from the, for the WHO uh, Secretary General to define pandemics. Uh, so international uh, uh, health emergency situation. When you give right kind of di to the dictator, to very small group of people, they can really evoke, uh, make uh, fake pandemics, uh, just claiming that there is pandemic. Because we have very real experiences. 2009, uh, there was a swine flu panic in Europe, and mm. uh, countries bought huge amount of vaccines, and and so on. But what did outcome was. Uh, th there was no pandemic. Uh, even the EU institutions created the uh, investigative bodies to investigate the uh, behavior of, of the WHO in this fake pandemic, uh, because they so supported big pharma in this. And uh, so even official investigations were made. Huge, huge uh, money for was paid for victims. For example, concerning the narcolepsy, narcolepsy, countries spent millions of millions uh, for fake pandemic, and uh, WHO was a uh, main suspect uh, of creating that. Uh, and they are like, uh, great sense, they are like uh, agents of big pharma. This is quite corrupt system. The UN is quite quite corrupt system, and the WHO is quite corrupt system. Uh, and uh, very strange thing happened also in this text. For example, the some country, countries demanded to take out terms like uh, uh, freedom of person, human rights, and replace it with words equity. Very strange, isn't it? The developed countries must give everything away to the third countries, to these authoritarian regimes who would like not to spend to their own people, but you give away everything. Uh, there is a lot of, lot of uh, articles but, uh, where it's written, you shall, you shall give away your support, you shall, you shall give away your intellectual property for medicine, so on. It's, uh, it's probably, it will fail even because of this. It looks very much like a third world, world is demanding a lot of money from the developed world. But, but uh, USA and European Union countries pay already so much for these countries. How much, how much more? <laughs> it's a very strange, uh, um, plan and dangerous plan.
So I can say we have problems also in Estonia because we cannot surrender, surrender any sovereignty to any international body, also to WHO, which is corrupt organization under Chinese influence, uh, who, who has made several fake pandemics in, uh, for, in favor to big pharma. And I appreciate Trump's decision to pull out from the WHO. It, probably when he wins elections, the WHO plans are completely out. Well, that's very interesting. So you predict that uh, former President Trump will be president again? It will be very difficult for him, but uh, I don't know. This question is simply what the deep state, what what the what the hair adversaries can do when he have 90, 90 uh, legal cases and they do whatever to stop him. I see that this is very unjust, very unjust behavior because this is not fair politics to uh, stop uh, leg legitimate legitimate politicians in this way like Trump. And this this is why we created the, the Trump support group uh, and uh, also to avoid this strange anti-Americanism but leftists started to blame America for everything uh, and uh, so new leftists ready to bring down democracy and freedom of speech because without freedom of speech we don't have democracy the hate, hate speech is the idea of uh, American Marxist Herbert Marcuse. He's, he was, of course, European emigre, but uh, in 1965 he wrote a famous pamphlet, uh, Repressive Tolerance. And uh, from, from this time they tried to silence conservatives. They say that, yes, we are tolerant, but everybody else must be silent. Only left, only left can speak. We have we have ten left newspapers, but all other newspapers they are they must be closed because we are tolerant. <laughs> only only for red. Very very dangerous time indeed. Uh, so I I see the I see downfall of democracy in many European countries, and my main hope is to Eastern European countries who remember how bad it was under Soviet system, a communist system, uh, to be their satellites, to lose their freedoms. You've identified, you know, kind of this globalist and, you know, slash Frankfurt School slash, you know, internationalist agenda um, that you want you know, the bunch of states to stand against, right? And it seems like Russia is actually trying to stand against that system as well at the moment. How do you react to that? This is facade from their point of view. Their real core is imperial might. When they speak, they are Christians. They're quite fake Christianity. But uh, they're, I can say that they point why they speak sometimes about this LGTB questions here. They they really want to use the weak points of your their adversaries. They show your weak points, of course, 
when the West is uh, making stupidness, only stupid things and speaking about LGBTB, not preparing their security for threats uh, or enemies laughing about you. Uh, of course, of course, they are very happy that uh, West is uh, destroying themselves uh, with their own hands. They're very happy to show that, boys, you are very stupid. <laughs> we are good Christians. You are very stupid. You know, I mentioned a little bit earlier in the discussion that, you know, the information warfare here at the current time is is massive, coming from, you know, every every large player has a, you know, let's call it a potent game. So, you know, some American conservatives, they'll be more open-minded, right, to these, to the kind of uh, uh, information warfare that might come from the Russian side, right? Because they, because they, they know for sure what's coming from the, let's call it the globalist side is wrong and has caused, you know, incredible damage, whether it's, you know, around, you know, COVID messaging or, you know, and any number of things, right? Um, uh, this Russia-Trump-Russia collusion narrative, right? Russiagate, whatever, all, all of that and, 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 and a lot more. Sometimes it's almost like we're, we get, can get trapped in this kind of binary thinking where if, it's, if I know this is bad, then the alternative being offered to me good. And it seems to me like things are just often more complicated as we've been discussing today. I guess my question is, what, what advice would you offer to American conservatives as they're trying to figure out what to think of all this? From my point of view, um, you remember your history and you had 13 colonies uh, who were no state, no nation, <laughs> uh, but you fight, fight your way out to be one of the best countries in the world. Uh, and Ukraine has the same destiny. I, I think Russia considers them no state, no nation, but they, they fight for death. They want to, want to be a state. They want to be nation and uh, they must be supported, but in prudent way, not uh, spend money to wrong places, uh, help, with the, help with diplomacy, help with the international law, with your weapons. Of course, America has been highly important, but also not give up to left loonies who want to, after Ukrainian wins the war, to take their rights away very soon and uh, start repressive tolerance, LGTB rights, uh, whatever, whatever stupid thing. Uh, and American conservatives can give, give the good example what the freedom really is. And first of all, look to Epoch Times because Estonian, Estonian conservatives look to that. Uh, it means that USA still have free speech. Uh, Russia don't have it. Of course, you have problems with free speech. You, USA has certain hate laws also. But until you have Epoch Times, uh, the fourth biggest outlet, you have Fox News, uh, then you can compare the information, of course. Any final thoughts as we finish, Antti? It's almost the same what I told that uh, the American history for last 50 years will show how your nice society, nice society is infiltrated by communist forces and, uh, 
and uh, all these wokeisms are very dangerous and they, they're bringing down the USA. The freedom of science is threatened in universities. It's, it's unbelievable. Your great university, Har universities, Harvard or others un are under the threat. And why, why we Estonians from small Estonia can uh, pretend to say something to US people uh, probably also because we were part of repressive Soviet system without freedoms. And we were also part of the Soviet taxpayers. All money was sent to your sub subversion. So, so I hope we can help also uh, say a word that U USA will flourish again, be great again. <laughs> Well, Antti Polamets, such a pleasure to have had you on. Thank you, Jan. Thank you all for joining Antti Polamets and me on this episode of American Thought Leaders. I'm your host, Janja Kellek.